Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Happy Tuesday. It's a, it's a different kind of day out there. I walked and that uh, wind is really strong, but it's warming things up and maybe it'll melt a little bit of the snow so I won't have to chisel away at some of that icy stuff to get rid of it. Do you, have, out there. do you have much snow over there? Because we don't really have very much here at all. No, we really don't, but oh. the wind was so strong it blew it into a mini snowbank. Oh, so okay. There's Really, you know, I don't know what size it has to be to be a snowbank. I think snow buntings hide behind snowbanks on occasion when the weather gets really, really bad. These tiny little birds. So a snowbank to them probably isn't very deep, but to us, I don't know what it has to be. But it, you know, it Al, packed it and made it hard. If yeah. it's snowbank, it has to have money in it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was I bad. That's true. It is. It, oh. Somebody asked what those little snow buntings. They said, do they dive into? These are the ones that we see, and we haven't seen, uh, boy, hardly any of them this year. I've seen, I think, none. And somebody asked if they dive in the snow to sleep. Hmm. It, they roost on the ground in slight scrapes in the snow in open areas. So they're out in the middle of the field, and they just scrape a little bit in the ground or the snow. And extreme cold might cause one to roost behind a, a snow bank. And I know the Cornell Lab said that extreme conditions and I believe they said it was a minus 35 degrees centigrade but I'm a good American so I have no idea how cold that is but that might cause them to burrow into a snow so it has to get really severe before they do that. I've been uh, done a few CBCs you know there are mysteries perched in trees and if I flip enough proverbial rocks I find things and it's fun even when the weather isn't and I think the secret to a, a fun CBC is keep expectations high, never be disappointed, and always be surprised. And I stopped and visited a bunch of folks that are uh, all feeders of backyard birds, and I would sit in their deck or in their house, and we'd look at their backyard birds, and I'd count them on my Christmas bird count. And I visited an, an admirer of backyard birds, and he pointed at one of the birds and said, that's my favorite bird. What kind is it? Uh, we don't have to know what everything is to really enjoy it. I guess Robert Frost would have answered, they cannot look out far, they cannot look in deep, but when was that ever a bar to any watch they keep? I heard the spring song of a black-capped chickadee this morning. It's a simple two- or three-note whistled Phoebe or Hey Sweetie. And the whistled Phoebe is given mostly by males, although not exclusively. He's advertising his territory and attempting to attract a mate. And his vocalization is inspired by lengthening daylight hours. So longer days make avian hormone levels surge, leading to courtship behaviors that induce hormone, more hormone production. The combination of day length and courting behaviors work together to cause this tiny pile of feathers to whistle springs here. And again, I said they are the most optimistic of birds. I heard them in the far off. It was a flock of Canada geese, and I stood in a parking lot in Fairmont, Minnesota, as a flock turned into many flocks, and the barking sounds intensified the numbers, and the honking were that of a spring migration, but it was January. The weather was imperfect, but not all the flights had been canceled, 
and the geese were headed to a watery bed after feeding in a harvested cornfield, enjoying man's unintentional generosity. And I heard from a, a friend and an old teammate, uh, Randy Chirpik, who lives in Fairmont, works for the Photo Press. They're a wonderful publication. And he sent me a photo of a Canada goose V formation. He said there was at least 125 geese in each leg of that V. I examined footprints in the snow after the last bit of snow we got. There were fragments of a dark night. A dog's steps in the snow were evident. Coyotes typically walk in a straight line with each paw print almost directly in front of the next and with few meandering lines. Dogs aren't as worried about conserving energy, so they wander while investigating things. Anybody's taking a dog for a walk knows how that goes. They frequently cross their own paths, so you see their prints going over their own paths pretty regularly. And as I examined the writings in the snow, crows offered critical comments, and I watched a pair walk up the drive. There's nothing quite like the swagger of a crow. Uh, Daniel Otten of Hayward sent me some photos from otter space. That's right, otter space. <laughs> Something had been sliding on the snow along the river. River otters, and they were along the Shell Rock River. And why do otters do that? I think it's because it's fun. They'll take a few steps and then just slide. It doesn't seem to hurry them anywhere. They're just having a good time. And I know, Karen, you mentioned you got uh, something from uh, about asking about blue jays. Yeah, I tell you what, our friend Don from Cannon Falls has a question. He, she, he says, could you please ask Al if blue jays are in the crow family? He says I'm, that not only do they eat the, the peanuts that he puts out for them, but they eat the cut-up hot dogs he puts out for the crows. Thanks, Don in Cannon Falls. Oh, thanks, Don. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Um, yeah, they are a member of the Corvid or Corvidae oh. family, and that includes, uh, well, of course, crows and jays, but also ravens. If you get to, uh, oh, say, the U.K. or somewhere over there, you'll have rooks and jackdaws. We have magpies in parts of Minnesota, uh, nutcrackers. And the jays, there's blue jays, green jays that you'll see down in Texas, scrub jays, uh, stellar's jays, these beautiful uh, that I see in Alaska all the time. So there's a number of the, the most... Uh, Clark's nutcracker is the one that comes to mind as a beautiful bird. So they are. So they have a lot of those same behaviors. They are very smart. So you know how smart things are. They need to be entertained as well. <laughs> so that's why you see them doing things that you say, well, why in the world are they doing that? That's goofy. And crows and ravens are... Uh, they excel at doing goofy things for no apparent reason, but uh, they play, I think. So, yeah, that's a great question. Well, speaking of uh, ravens, that reminds me of our friend, our friend John from New Ulm, who, remember, he was confusing ravens with crows, and we, you know, he, we give him a hard time, you know, and he's, he's all right with it now, but he has a question for you. He says, I bet Al knows this one, which is always a bad sign when oh, he says that. man. Who is Santa's favorite singer? Santa's favorite singer. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a bad I one. I do not know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Elphis Presley. Oh, Elphis. Oh, man. Okay, bonus and, round. And he thought I'd get that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. He's, here's a bonus round. Ding, ding, ding. What do you sing to a snowman on his birthday? 
I do not know that either. Freeze, either. freeze the jolly good fellow. Oh, freeze, get I, it? Ha ha ha. I've heard that one too. And it is, oh. <laughs> it is signed Tumbleweed Chaser John in New Ulm. Well, thank you, John. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you. And I have got, uh, through the years, I have got maybe four <laughs> of those right, I think, so far. So, you know, uh, my uh, percentage isn't real high, but I, I still strut the earth like a colossus when I do get one. Uh, Dean Musing said, we are seeing a bird with a mix of gray, white, black coloration and a crested head. It's uh, smaller than a blue jay. Could it be a tufted titmouse? I see in the Audubon map that they show they are inhabited a small area running up the Mississippi River area in southeastern Minnesota. In uh, 2019 and 20, the winter thereof, I had one that spent the winter with me. Uh, a friend, uh, Carol Hagel-Lang in Albert Lee, has had one in her yard since, I want to say, November 2nd, something like that. And I realize uh, that you're a little bit further west than we are, Dean, but we don't get many of them here, but we do get them on occasion. So I, I hope you're able to get an award-winning photo of it. They're one of my favorite birds, uh, tiny little birds with just this huge black eye. And they, I, it, it was just fun having the one. And my wife said I fussed about it and I worried about it. We had to be gone for a week. And, oh, I thought about that little bird. I put out more bird seed. I hid it all over. And when I came back, one of the first things I looked for was that little bird. And I was so happy he was still uh, doing well, well and prospering. Uh, Jerry Victoria of Allendale said somebody reported a snowy owl near Hope to him. Uh, Mac Earhart of Albert Lee. Mac and his family run the Albert Lee Seed House there. It's a, a wonderful uh, birdie place, uh, bird seed and that sort of thing. He said he can't figure out if uh, one of the attackers in his yard is a Cooper's or a Sharpie. And uh, mm -hmm. Mac, I wrote a column with about 900 things to look for to tell the difference, but you know it still confounds uh, <laughs> experts so it's uh if one of my favorite ways if you look at their legs if you can see their legs and i know when they're shooting through the yard who can see the legs you, you can't but if you see them perched if their feet and legs look like they could snap pencils in two that's a cooper's hawk if their legs look like they are pencils that oh. is a sharp shin hawk interesting so, again, you know, you say, I hear from people and say, who can see the legs? I come through the yard here and boom, grab something, and away it goes. And on that same topic, I heard from David Hunter. He said, I have many English sparrows in my backyard. I also have cardinals. Every now and then a sharp shin hawk comes through like a missile and takes a sparrow to lunch. It's always a sparrow. Why never a cardinal? They're larger and more visible. Are the hawks blind to red? I'll bet the Cardinals, uh, David, wish the Sharpies were blind to the color <laughs> red. That would make life a lot less uh, nerve-wracking for these these birds. Uh, these little hawks, Sharpies, they like to fly in and ambush ground-feeding birds such as sparrows that lack the field of view of birds at elevated feeders. Uh, I was behind the uh, Elberly Tribune, and a female 
sharp shin came in and just nabbed a starling on the ground. Just boom, that quick. The starling didn't didn't know what hit him until it hit him, I guess. So one, but one squawk. We were talking about uh, Don and his Blue Jays. They are the uh, yard sentinels. So one squawk of warning from a Blue Jay causes this sudden flush of birds and sends them all hopefully to a safe place. So uh, Blue Jays can be kind of, um, oh, you know, people say they're cads and and other things that I won't even repeat, but they do serve a definite purpose there of warning other birds of hawks. But back to sharp shins, the size differential between the sexes is substantial. Male sharp shins are nine and a half to 12 inches long. So at the longest, they're a foot long at the, at the longest. They're tiny little guys, you know, the size of a blue jay. They have a wingspan of 20 to 23 inches. They weigh approximately three and a half ounces. So this is a tiny, tiny bird. Females, they're 11 and a half to 14 and a half inches longer. So their, their smallest ones are about the same size as the largest males. They have a wingspan, 23 to 27 inches, and they weigh 6 to 7 ounces. So they can weigh twice as much as the male. Because of this, as you might expect, males target smaller birds than do females. And there was a University of North Carolina study that found traps baited with starlings. So they took out traps and they baited some with starlings, and they put house sparrows in other ones, and they wanted to see if this made a difference. And it did. The ones baited with starlings caught significantly higher proportion of juvenile female sharpies than males. And we can tell if they're juveniles because they'll have yellow or light-colored eyes, where the adults will have an orangish, reddish eye. Do you think they taste better? <laughs> I, I can't imagine... Uh, I, I think it all comes down to size, because oh. the, the little male, the young male, he's looking at that starling and saying, oh, gosh, you know, that's a pretty big bird there. I might get hurt. Wow. Who knows? Who knows if I can take that bird? It might kick my rear end. <laughs> but that little sparrow, I got him. Wow. I know I can beat him up. It's, you know, like when we were little boys, we'd, we'd make a list of everybody we thought we could beat up. And the old joke <laughs> was, uh, is my name on there? And said, yeah. Well, you can't beat me up. Okay, well, I'll cross your name off there then. So uh, traps baited with house sparrows caught proportionally more juvenile males and females. And the adults didn't seem to care whether it was a starling or a sparrow. They went after them. Uh, adults initiate fewer attacks, however, on a inappropriately large prey than do juveniles. So whenever you hear about a tiny little hawk going after something that's much too big for him, it's typically a juvenile because he doesn't have the gift of experience. They, uh, especially a female Sharpie, uh, David, would certainly take a cardinal. But cardinals, you know, they're cautious. They come to the feeders early in the morning. They come when it's late, when the hawks are less likely to be hunting. Uh, Maybe luck has a bit to do with it, but if you're brightly colored like a cardinal, you are going to be just hyper-attentive on everything that's going on in your life. Sparrows also feed in large numbers, which might make them more attractive to a hawk. So uh, I hope that sort of answers your question. 
I, on Sunday, December 26th, the Des Moines Christmas bird count was conducted. Total species tallied were 76, but the reason I mention this is they have a blackbird flock in Des Moines, and a rough estimate was 85,000 birds. Wow. These are red-winged blackbirds and a few thousand common grackle mixed oh in there. Uh, Rick Mammel of Albert Lee says, Al, I will leave my native flower plants standing for birds to feed on their seeds. The seeds they drop help expand my gardens, of course, but it's another good reason to have my gardens for the sheer joy of being entertained, watching them hammer the seed heads. I ultimately must send out some of my plants each spring to share with folks in this area. And, uh, boy, uh, truth, uh, Rick gives, gave me some this year in this area to start up or expand gardens and hopefully enjoy the birds, butterflies, and bees as we do. Besides, the native plants don't like fertilizers at lawns demand. They love adversity, it seems. They'll tolerate average soil and average to less or more than average rainfall. They'll even tolerate me. Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, Kathy Bolin of Rochester. Uh, Kathy is a longtime friend, worked for the DNR. Kathy and I led uh, tours to uh, Costa Rica at one time, so she's a great, great lady. She said, hi, Al, my neighbor, my nephew-in-law was running early one morning in mid-October where they live in Overland Park, Kansas. He was attacked by a great horned owl that left talon holes in his scalp drawing blood. Thankfully, it didn't make off with Dan's New York Yankees baseball cap. Dan got a tetanus shot and now has a New York Yankees baseball cap with visible talon holes in it. Dan's wondering why the owl would have attacked him, saying he didn't think he looked that much like a mouse. Uh, Kathy, you know, not many living things like the New York Yankees. I I have no doubt that was it. You know, if you're going to wear a New York Yankee hat, you're you're just going to get grief <laughs> from a lot of things. And I think uh, it would, the attack to the owl was justified because it was defending its territory. I hear this mostly about barred owls. This happening. So, but uh, I, again, I. I'm going to go with the New York Yankees. That's going to be my my answer. Uh, Micah Nedekoven was out walking at Minneopa State Park, and Micah walks out there a lot. It's, boy, we're lucky to have Minneopa around. What a beautiful place. And he saw flo- four bluebirds there, and he said the bluebirds were too far away to be visible in his cell phone picture, but I th- and he said it was probably too cold for the cell camera to even work. So, and that's probably true. You know, uh, cell phones are wonderful, but uh, if things get very far away, it's it's tough to get. We call usable photos, but shareable photos mm-hmm. would probably be a better description of that. So, thank you, Micah, very very much. What time of year, Al, do squirrels breed? Well, you might see. I was uh, outside yesterday, maybe around noon. And there were three fox squirrels, and they were going around and around and around the tree. Now, I, I think the one in the front was a female. She was being pursued by a male who was being pursued by another male who was trying to throw the first male out of the way. So uh, around and around. Oh, can you imagine the steps they get on their Fitbits? Because they got four legs going, so they're getting double what we're getting anyway. But fox squirrels, and those are the big kind of 
you know, they look kind of orangish to me. They're big brownish squirrels. They're our biggest one. They breed from December to February, and then again they'll do so in June through July. The eastern gray squirrels, which are also our black squirrels here, it's December to February for them, and then June through August, a little bit later in the uh, summer. Flying squirrels, they're early spring, and red squirrels are in late winter. And again, black squirrels are a melanistic color phase of the gray. There was a 1990 study, and sadly I remember the year, but I don't remember. Oh, I don't remember who the study was by, and I apologize. They found that black squirrels were the dominant color of the eastern gray squirrel prior to European settlement. And as the country grew, became a little more urbanized, there was increased hunting pressure. Uh, hunters found that black squirrels were easier for hunters to spot than the gray. The gray would f- play like freeze tag on the bark of a tree, and they couldn't see them. The population became grayer, not older, but grayer. Gray squirrels inhabited large tracts of woodland and forest in the eastern U.S., but by the 1870s, they were introduced to American parks to provide people with a wildlife experience. Central Park was one of those parks where they just brought in a lot of squirrels and let them go. And according to the DNR, a gray squirrel can hide 25 nuts in 30 minutes wow. and can find <laughs> roughly 80% of them later, which is just, you know, I, I always mention this with my car keys. I have no idea where my car keys are right now. I mean, I, I I try to put them in the same place, and I'm I'm good at that. It seems like it differs with the car. Some of them I'm very good. We have like a side table, and I'll put them right there every time. But then other ones, I don't know why I don't put them there. Do you have the real key keys, or do you have the fob thing where you just push a button? I have a key key. Okay, because, see, I have the fob thing, so you don't ever have to take them out. I just leave it in my purse, and as long as I have my purse, which I usually take everywhere, get in the the vehicle, and then you just push a button, and off it goes. So you never, ever have to worry about losing your keys because you just keep them in your purse. So... My my wife has that. The only thing is, and she says, well, you drive. So then I'm driving (laughs) her car, so then I get the fob. So I put that in my pocket, and then and we go places and do things, and then I forget to give them back to her oh, right away. She can't so, go. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's always a thing. So I got to, where are my keys? I don't know where that. I don't even know where my keys are. <laughs> How would I know where yours are? So, But, yeah, it's different. I, I drive a Subaru, and I still have keys with that. I, I imagine they've probably done away with them, too, in the newer ones. But yeah. mine still has. I, I'm not fit to drive anything else other than a Subaru. It's kind of odd uh, car, I think, in a lot of ways. And so uh, being odd myself, I just I, I work right into that. It's a perfect fit for me. Do you know the nice thing uh, about the, the old style keys that you can get them remade for just a few bucks, but now these new fob things, I mean, they're two, three, four hundred more dollars. It's So you don't want to lose them. I knew that's what I, I learned. You do not want to lose them. Because remember the old keys, you just take them to the key shop and make a copy. Yeah, easy, yeah, easy. In a few minutes, you yeah. learned all the gossip in the hardware store. And while they're going and doing this, so like a dentist's office, it sounded like. So don't lose the fob. I, <laughs> that's all I got to say. I was ringing bells at uh, 
at Hy-Vee, and a lady came in, and she was near in tears. It was that day when it was 19 below or whatever it was, and her her fob, she couldn't open her car or anything. Oh. So I, I used my cell phone, and we called the local dealer and came down and said it was a something had gone wrong with the fob and they uh, brought in a, a a small tow truck and put it on a little trailer and away they went with it but i know the guy was saying you know if it wasn't uh, warranty or anything on that it was i want to say five hundred dollars does that sound right it was something like oh that yeah it's where. it's a lot yeah that's yeah so she was uh, but it was funny she came in later and she had a smile, and she threw twenty dollars in the kettle and, oh. <laughs> and thanked me and said, Aww. "It's it's it's all okay." So I, good. I was I was happy to hear that. Uh, a listener said, "Do crows and gulls have landfill breath?" Yes, yes, they do. That's a good thing. You're going to eat at landfill. You're going to have landfill breath. <laughs> uh, th- the same listener also said, "I found some shrews in the yard under the feeders. I thought they were carnivores." Uh, you know, they are. Uh, the ones in my yard eat meat, but they're, I guess we'd have to say they're omnivores because they eat insects, worms, spiders. They will eat mice and other small mammals, but they eat plant material like the seeds, sunflower seeds under my feeders, anything to stoke this incredibly high metabolic rate that they have. So uh, they are uh, like us, uh, well, like a lot of us. Not you, Karen, but a lot of us are carnivores, but we're uh, we're omnivores, really, because, boy, just think of all the different things we eat in a lifetime. We're well, just speaking of things that are eating other things, uh, I just got another text from John, so he's listening, and he must be listening. He says, I forgot to report that the last time at his dad's house, an eagle flew over, not far from his dad's house. This is in Andover. And also a deer carcass had three or four good-sized hawks on it early part of County Road 5. And so it just goes to show the uh, hawks are eating on the deer. Then, uh, boy, everything likes deer, you know, from chickadees to blue jays to bald eagles. They love venison. So if they can... Uh, we had a dead deer out in the yard, out in the middle of the field, right straight out from my office. And uh, it was a cold, cold winter, so it spent, it stayed in pretty good shape, I think, because of the coldness. But there was always eagles there or crows or something. They fed on that deer for the longest time because it was a, an easy meal for them. If you're a bald eagle or a hawk or a blue jay or a chickadee, you're thinking, man, that's a place I can go to get something to eat without having to really work very hard to get it. And I don't, I doubt it. It was so far out in the field. I suppose blue jays could have got out there. I'm sure no chickadees got out there because it was so far out in the middle of the field, you'd be taking your life in your own hands if you're a small bird to go out there because you'd be easy pickings for a hawk at that point. But crows and eagles, and they have sort of a jackal and lion relationship, so the crows would just uh, torment the eagles wanting the food. Um, Boy, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. We really enjoy your company. Thanks for all the questions and emails and texts and phone calls. We really appreciate it. The big news here 
we had the doorbell repaired here at the Bat Cave. That's how exciting life has become. Now I hear a strange sound I haven't heard since before COVID hit. The doorbell sounds a cat makes a beeline for under the bed in the bedroom. She doesn't know what that sound is anymore. <laughs> when the doorbell, somebody will remember this, when the doorbell first rang in the Beverly Hillbillies TV series, the Clampett family they looked at the walls and the ceiling <laughs> everywhere, hoping to find out where the sound was coming from. Later, they discovered that each time the music played, someone was at the front door. I've become a clampet, uh, probably Jethro. The bad news is that now that we have a working doorbell, I'll never win the no bell prize <laughs> thanks for listening folks remember heartland is while we're driving past uh do something wild today get out there and look at a bird karen thank you as always for your incredibly wonderful company al it's always a delight to have you on i hope uh, we'll be back again with you next week sharing some uh, good stories then and again if folks want to send their questions in the meantime we'll share them with al thanks a lot thank you Bye-bye. all right bye-bye al